This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And Brady, happy Valentine's Day to you. Oh, do 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 How's yours going? Uh, so far it's going fine. I'm not uh, unfortunately miles away from my wife at the moment, so we had to do the long distance Valentine. So by this time right now, she should be opening up a giant box of chocolate and have a dozen roses with her. So how's yours going? Oh man, stone cold single. Mm-hmm. As per usual. Wah, 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 wah. So, you, know. <laughs> you know what? Well, it's 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 best to spend the day with one you love. So if you're just staying at home tonight by yourself watching movies, I see nothing wrong with that at all. So I am with our wonderful, beautiful listeners, and that's who I'd rather be with more than anybody else. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Brady, uh, all three of you. Speaking of wonderful people that we have on the podcast, we do have a very special guest lined up for tomorrow, don't we? That's right. We have Jennifer Tarek, who's going to be coming on with us uh, tomorrow, and she has uh, sort of an affinity for the scene that we're actually covering, and we're going to talk to her and figure out what that's all about. She's actually a uh, pretty prominent figure in the Jurassic Park community as well, so we're really looking forward to getting her take on the movie and on tomorrow's minute and everything else that she has to talk about Jurassic. Uh, And on Thursday and Friday, we're actually going to be having... Brad Jostan. Now, Brad Jost is probably a familiar name to a lot of our listeners. He does the Jurassic Park podcast. His podcast and his website is actually one of the um, more like one of the most uh, prominent places you can go online to get Jurassic Park news and information and all kinds of stuff. So, really looking forward to having Jennifer on for tomorrow and then Brad on Thursday and Friday. It's uh, it's gonna be a pretty awesome week. Those are going to be awesome shows. Nobody better to talk about than Jurassic Park, uh, about Jurassic Park than Brad and Jennifer. Those are going to be fantastic shows. You're not going to want to miss those, and you're not going to want to miss today's episode because we are getting into kind of the meat of John Hammond's psyche here. And Brady, if you're ready, we can go ahead and jump into minute number 86. Let's do it. In the previous minute, we saw Ellie Sattler watch John Hammond eat ice cream by himself. As the minute ended, Ellie took a seat at the table with John Hammond as he reassured her that Grant and the kids were most likely safe. At minute number 86, Hammond tells Ellie that there is no one better fit to guide the kids through the park than a dinosaur expert. Hammond goes on to tell Ellie that the first attraction he ever built when he came down from Scotland was a flea circus on Petticoat Lane. Hammond tells Ellie about the motorized attractions and the imaginary fleas that would ride them. Hammond goes on to tell Ellie how kids would swear that they could see the fleas and tell their parents all about them. Hammond tells Ellie that he wanted to build something real with Jurassic Park. And thus ends minute number 86 of Jurassic Park. So John is kind of bearing his soul here, bear, bearing, bear his soul, barely, to uh, Ellie here, uh, talking about his uh, time in Scotland with his flea circus on Petticoat Lane. And it's this is a scene that never really emotionally resonated with me, I think, until I was watching it here recently. This, this movie, I've always enjoyed this movie, and I always thought it was well-written, and I thought the characters were fine, but I don't think I really ever got into the core of what was going on with a lot of them until we started watching it in a minute-by-minute format. And I think probably because the spectacle of the dinosaurs and just getting swept up in the overall adventure in the film is what I was interested in at the time. So I want to ask you, watching it now as an adult through the lens of a life experience, uh, is there anything in this movie, that, like, well, in particular in this minute, that's really kind of opened itself up to you given you know where you are now in life? No, it's I've actually always found 
this scene in particular very uh it's it's always resonated you know um or, or i don't know hit in a certain way i actually really enjoy it uh as i've said before i think jurassic park is above all things a character film a very character driven movie and you don't really get more of a just sort of character moment than this scene mm-hmm. um so it's always one that i'm i'm uh always have been and always am uh very much invested in whenever i watch it you know we're seeing just this performance this just incredible performance of somebody who is so caught up in his own ideas that he's totally unaware of the harm that it's doing to not just the people in his immediate presence but science overall another thing that's going on here is we get uh some of john williams best work in the whole movie mm-hmm. uh, this this music that he does here is incredible but um back to richard attenborough and his performance uh it's such a very, it's a, such a sorrowful moment and you see this um, all of this sincerity which meshes just perfectly with Richard Attenborough's performance and uh, and you know the minute starts off and we see him in this very uh, pitiful state and he, he very quickly I mean like the snap of a finger comes under his own spell again so to speak and it's interesting to see this person get just he's such a sociopath and he's kind of switching back and forth into I'm feeling sorry for myself and now I'm very driven. I've got this very driven uh, mindset towards every, <laughs> the, the thing that I'm talking about at this moment. He's such a salesman. Um, it's interesting that Michael Crichton and uh, Steven Spielberg both have said that he's sort of a dark version of Walt Disney. And you can see in the story that he's telling in this scene that it kind of mirrors uh, Walt Disney's background and the fact that he rose up from very humble beginnings and had the... And, you know, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, the silly symphonies and things like that, which would eventually lead into this entertainment empire mm-hmm. uh, that is Disneyland and Disney World and now theme parks all over the world. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, that's a pretty apt uh, comparison for him to Walt Disney as far as someone who's kind of like, like the drive and initiative. And we, There's one thing that they don't really talk about in this movie. Uh, and I don't think really in the background of John Hammond as a character is kind of like his grasp on what he's doing here in the park science wise. Like, is he, is, was he a brilliant scientist or, uh, that started out and kind of like got some patents and got rich off of those? Or was he a smart businessman that knew how to put the right people in the right places? I'm thinking it's probably the latter that he's kind of got a grasp on the overall vision of everything. Someone like a Steve Jobs or a Walt Disney that maybe wasn't the most talented, you know, Walt Disney was a fine artist, but he wasn't as good as like Oob Iwerks or some of the guys that he hired. He, his vision, and the ability to put the right person in the right place to complete a task and be a boss of all that is really where his brilliance was. Same thing with Steve Jobs. The guy wasn't a programmer. What he knew is he had a vision. Okay, I saw this thing on Star Trek when I was a kid and I want the world to work towards that, so I'm going to hire the right people and put them in places and kind of like crack the whip on them to get that done. So, um, But we don't really get that part of the background of John Hammond. What we do get is the dreamer. Uh, like Walt Disney, like you were saying here, the dark vision of, of him is how Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, uh, described him. I think that's it's completely apt. You know, he's he's not he's seeing what the end product is f- in terms of how he it affects him. He doesn't see it how it affects right. the world around him. Like you have yeah, said, and, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of putting that in different words, but that is the point you were making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the, the Walt Disney comparison in that Walt Disney was probably able, like just like you're saying, someone who can see ahead. I think John Hammond is more invested in the moment and that's just how this guy thinks. he's so excited by everything that he just can't really see past anything uh like you were saying walt disney was kind of known for finding people seeing their craft and seeing what they were going to be able to accomplish down the road uh what was it bob bob gurr the guy who invented all of the transportation systems like in right. certain rides the, the boat systems you know monorail things the like Omnimover, that things like that yeah. yeah things like that he was able to just see that in that person that they were going to be able to to do something like that in the future whereas 
in a, I think it's tomorrow or Thursday's minute, Hammond says, you know, hiring Nidri was a mistake. I can yeah. see that now. That's something that he wasn't able to do that, say, his counterpart, uh, Disney, was able to do, was look that far ahead because the guy is just so invested in the moment and everything that can be accomplished in that moment, he doesn't see down the line and look where it gets everybody. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a very tricky scene, I think, to write because you can write it too strong and hit the nail too directly in the head. A guy like James Cameron, I think, would have written – I think it's pure – it's absolutely in his ability to write a scene like this. Uh, Cameron has been said to put – you know, hit things on the nose, you know, the hammer on the head head of the nail or, you know, like things are a little bit too direct sometimes under his writing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He's making movies for the masses that people enjoy. You kind of need to make things obvious – well, not obvious, but clear to the audience, right? Yeah. I think that – To a large uh, group of people. Yes, yes. Uh, In this scene, I do think they're they're accomplishing that, but I think there's – the craft of it is is very slick in the way that you're – Getting, you're kind of empathizing with him at the, uh, with him at the same time, and I think I was caught up uh, when I was younger watching that and really caring too much for John Hammond, getting caught up in the the dreamer mm-hmm. on Petticoat Lane who was trying to entertain people, and that's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to entertain people, and I, the part where uh, Dr. Sattler here is telling him like it's still and this is coming in tomorrow's minute. We'll talk about this with yeah. Jennifer, but uh, it's still just the flea circus, you know. Like that never really hit home to me until I watched it this time pegging John Hammond as the uh, idealist whose problems are the, are causing people to die now you know yeah, like this is he's he's not he's not seeing that he, and she has to put it down and you know it's it's going to take a character like uh, like Ellie Sattler who just you know the character in the movie who gives less of a crap about what's you know what your thoughts are on the on the subject she's yeah. going to tell you what's going on you know and it, exactly she's not buying it if you think yeah. back to the very first time that she meets Hammond in the movie she's just totally overwhelmed. She cannot believe who's in this trailer with her. Mm-hmm. And she still well, she comes in, she's him. about to bite his head off at first. Yeah, you exactly. know? Yeah. Just wait, dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then she's kind of the one pushing Grant along a little bit in when they're in the trailer in that scene. But uh, So it's so funny that you have this, this complete turnaround and she's not buying any of his sales pitch. And that's assuming he is sort of like using his sorrowful, pitiful backstory and everything to kind of get... Uh, some sort of if he's trying to sympathy, win her over, yeah, so yeah win, win sympathy. And if that is the case, if he even knows he's doing it, and whereas I do think he's kind of a manipulator for sure, I think that's all. That all comes from uh, this good place where you know he. he well, it's, it's, it's not just money and entertainment. Did he, I think there is a large part of him that wants to do this for the sake of science. Sure. And he, I think it may be part of his sales pitch, too. Like, he can't work himself. You know, mm-hmm. you've, I'm yeah. sure you've met someone before, and they're a great salesperson, and you're kind of trying to have a human moment with them, and they can't turn it off. They're constantly trying to sell something for you. Either uh, it's, I don't know, some sort of, like, pyramid scheme, uh, CD-burning uh, enterprise, uh, where it's <laughs> streaming music online, or uh, maybe oh, – yeah. yeah, just trying to to get a, a um a human moment over to you but they cannot turn it off you know it's just it's ingrained uh-huh. in them and i kind of think that's what's going on here he actually does want to appeal to ellie but he doesn't know how to turn it off he's just constantly yeah. going to be in that sales pitch mode you know i wanted to say something about what you were talking about earlier john williams score and just kind of talk about the brilliance of john williams and you know i think i said earlier in this movie that it, the score to this to jurassic park was I love it. It's fantastic. It never really felt like the right score for the movie to me. It, it always felt like something he was maybe tooling around with and then kind of applied it to Jurassic Park later. This scene is the music in the scene is fantastic. It's you know, 
it's, it's emotionally manipulative, but that's not a bad thing. It's just another piece of the puzzle here that's making up this wonderful, this really well-written scene. The little bells that are going on in the background, you know, like, I don't know if it's a xylophone or if it's like these little bells that are ringing or whatever. And John Hammond talking about Petticoat Lane, it really is evocative of kind of this, I could see this like young boy in Scotland on the street, you know, with his little like, you know, uh, uh, newsy cap or whatever, trying to entertain yeah. people with this mechanical thing. It, it's really evocative of, of a time and a place. And John Williams is just, he's, you know, going to go down as probably the, the, the greatest pop composer, uh, film pop composer of all time. Uh, and I think he earned that place because this is just this scene is it's sorrowful, it's melancholy, and at the same time you, you're you're getting a picture in your head of what he's describing when he talks about yeah, this stuff too. Absolutely, and you don't even have to try. Right. You know, every time I see the scene, I see the, the flea circus thing, and uh, yeah, and it's so few components. Yeah. In this scene, you've got your John Williams, you've got your very subtle camera work, which you can see, and and then the performance, mm -hmm. and that's it. So this is you know. And Just, it's uh, a perfect marriage of film filmmakers here. And I think that's also a part of Steven Spielberg's pre-planning. You know, mm -hmm. like uh, yeah, yeah. this. This is all this. This entire movie. I, I love Jurassic Park. It, it reminds me a lot of of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in the way that they took this grand scope and this massive story. It's about communicating with God and actually making connection to God. And they said, okay, what can we write that we can actually shoot? Uh, you know, and how can we do it in camera and really get the full our money's worth out of what we're doing? And this scene is that to me. Like you're saying, it's it's for very few elements. You take two very talented actors. You you know work over the scene and the script until you get. Get it perfect so Richard Attenborough has the stuff to work with and then you just yeah. have the score and it's lit well and it's probably I know we said something like Steven Spielberg give like what, five takes for every scene I imagine this one they probably got in like one or two because of just the you know the the level of expertise and professionalism of everybody on set it's yeah. it works perfectly it's minimalist but it's so direct to the point and pre-planned that um yeah it's 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 a it's a fantastic scene Absolutely. Now, you talked about uh, not really having a whole lot of John Hammond background to draw from. Mm -hmm. Have you ever – I know you're familiar with the game Jurassic Park Trespasser. Uh, yes, I am. Yes. It came out a little bit after The Lost World and took place on like Isla Sorna and everything. Well, there was a sort of like companion piece to that game, and I really – I've never played the game, so I'm not exactly sure where it fit in, but it's called Jurassic Time, and it's John Hammond's memoirs from after the events of The Lost World went down. And they actually got Richard Attenborough to come in and record uh, some audio of his monologue, excuse me, his um, memoirs of mm. the entire event from the time that he was doing the Flea Circus and before then. In fact, it starts off with him even giving his birth date. And it goes all the way up until the moment that he's reading these memoirs. And it is just incredible. I mean, the way he reads it, the story itself, you're just hanging on every word. And there's also some great music underneath it. I'd love to hear these and, and kind of because it's it's always been an interest of mine. Like, how did he make his money? How did he get to the place he is? Because he doesn't come off as like a, a particularly brilliant scientist or anything. So I, I'm you know very what? curious about I, that. If if anyone wants to get a listen to that, you can actually find the entire. I think it's like a five or seven part series on YouTube. And the guy who's posted it, his name is. Uh, Zoltan Jenki, and you spell that Z-O-L-T-A-N-J-E-N-K-E-I. Okay, so just so like it sounds. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's called Jurassic Time. So uh, that's definitely something very interesting that gives a lot of background to this interesting character who we get to see so many sides of in this minute. Well, very cool. Well, um, do you have anything else to say about this minute? No. 
No, I'm I don't either. To I have. Into it even further. I was about to say Jennifer's going to be on tomorrow. So any other thoughts? We're just going to stick a pin in right now and kind of get to someone who uh, is probably a little bit more of an expert of the scene, and we can chat about that uh, with her tomorrow. So we're really looking forward to having her on. And again, Brad Jose is going to be here on uh, Thursday and Friday of this week with us. It's going to be a, a, a jam-packed week here, and I think that everybody's yeah. really going to like what we have coming down. So, all right, Brady. Well, that's all I've got. You got anything else? That's it for me. Okay, folks, thank you so much for joining us today again. We'll get out of here. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media. Speaking of Patreon episodes, yeah, definitely. Uh, this Saturday, we are actually not going to be having a Jurassic Park... Excuse me one second. Come in! Yo! Hey, I'm just wrapping up uh, Jurassic Park Minute. Make yourself at home. Um... When the rain pours down, get out of town. The lizards and thunder. Strikes hit the pipe. Next comes the lizards and thunder. So lizards and thunder. Lizards and thunder. If you're near, have some fear. There's no, no mercy There's so wild It's no wonder Little is it the thunder Thunder.